Hi, this is Susan Huang from Bushwick Book Club with a special podcast episode featuring frequent Bushwick Book Club contributing songwriter Ray Brown. Charlie Nealand and I got to talk with Ray about music and books, songwriting during quarantine, Kratom, Bob Dylan, John S. Hall's Love Life, Crack House Motels. The conversation covers a lot of ground. Plus, we'll be playing some of Ray's songs throughout. To me, Ray Brown is a natural superstar. I don't know if you know people like this. I guess there aren't that many. My whole system recognizes Ray as a legend. Maybe Wikipedia or whoever keeps track of these things doesn't acknowledge him as such yet. I don't know. I know what he is. Every cell in my body knows what he is. He's the kind of legend you can call high and broke in the middle of the night and ask for money. That kind of legend. Count yourself lucky. I do. Here's the conversation Charlie and I had with Ray. Oh, it's really good to see you. Nice yeah. to see you guys. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Charlie, you're in Bushwick? I am. Live from Bushwick. I heard they're having outdoor concerts at like Birdies or somewhere like that. I don't, I'm not aware of that, but I'll check it out. <laughs> I know Birdies is jumping because they have outside, well, everywhere it's like that. Yeah, it's all on the sidewalk now. These elaborate, Susan, you've probably seen in these elaborate outdoor restaurants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. But yeah. What happens in November? I don't know. We yeah. don't know. We don't know. We'll have to dine in our furs. <laughs> well, in Paris, they sit in those outdoor cafes all year round. It's freezing. We'll let them know. <laughs> we'll remind them of that. <laughs> There's a bar next to me. And uh, it's, you know, you've never really noticed who's, who sits in that bar because you don't see them. But now they're outside. And when you walk through it, like the sidewalk goes through it and you're like, this is like a degenerate bar. Like these people <laughs> are crazy. Ray, I've been spending the afternoon listening to your songs. To it's been book so book. fun to like listen to your Bushwick Book Club songs. Do you remember the first one you ever did? It was that, um, uh, uh, it's, <laughs> I'm blinking out on the author, uh, Fahrenheit, Farsad? the guy who wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, Vonnegut. Oh. Vonnegut memoir. Oh, okay. I didn't oh. get as far back as that, but. That was the first one. Like, what do you, what do you remember about it? Um, I, I remember like not knowing how to do it and like, uh, just like looking at it and going not know where to start and then I, I just started riffing on it and it's really like it's a it's more about me and then in the middle of the song i say have i made this enough about myself yet and i got a lot <laughs> of laughs on that song and i and i talked about like having sex like when i was very young with a, a supreme court nixon nominated supreme court justice and and just i in bushwick book club songs for some reason whenever i do a bushwick book club i never talk about that stuff but in the bushwick book club things I always wind up talking about sex when I was very underage with like older men <laughs> behind the Northwood Mall. That's it's that's true. interesting. It, really, it works for your Bush of Book Club songs. It really does. Well, I really did. I, I really did think that you probably talked about that in all your songs. No, only <laughs> two so two Bush of Book Club songs. So that's that's one. Of, that's the difference between your regular set and your Bush of Book Club sets, right? <laughs> Is that for Bush of Book Club? You know, you bring out the stories about the um, about the underage sex. Yes. <laughs> and that, um, and I had kind of forgotten about that until I st started just talking, because 
I would get out of school at, I think, 2.30 we got out of school, and then the mall was next door to my junior high school. So I would hang out at the mall, and then my father would pick me up at 5 o'clock or 5.15 when he got off work. So between 2.30 and 5 o'clock, I had all kind of misadventures at the mall. Wow. <laughs> and I want to hear – I want to hear I mean, a whole album of songs just about all those misadventures. <laughs> That's another I mean, Some of it was like smoking cigarettes or smoking weed. But in my case, it was like I discovered this whole like gay cruising scene, like just by accident. And where was that? In the north of mall in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh-huh. It's now lo- it's no longer a mall. It's like they turned it into offices because there's no malls anymore. Like what what music were you listening to then? Um, Elton John, Paul McCartney, um, like top 40, um, the Beatles. What, what albums did I have at home? Like I had a lot of Beatles and, um, Elton John, 73, 74. I didn't write songs till I was much older in life, but then I had a, like a, a, an epiphany moment for in my life for my 15th birthday, I asked for, um, Paul McCartney's latest album, which was like Venus and Mars, I think. And um, I, there was an album, Blood on the Tracks, that I, I didn't know who this guy was, Bob Dylan. And I liked that song. It was on the radio. And for some reason, my mom got me bringing it all back home. Like oh. some accident, like some hip record store clerk or just like just dizziness, like just picked up whatever. But I always wonder, like, if I'd gotten Blood on the Tracks, I don't think my life would have changed. But it changed like that night. When I put that needle down and oh, there was like... Uh, I was like very shy and didn't have many friends at that time. And my mother threw a surprise birthday party with all these people that like I wasn't friends with. And I just sat at that thing, ignoring them, just listening to this, like uh, um, bringing it all back home, just like mind blown. And then within like a month, I had like uh, Highway 61, Blonde on Blonde. And then and it became and from that, like got into like uh, uh, just reading everything about Dylan and then Patti Smith came out that January. And then I just went down like a wormhole with like Burroughs and Ginsburg and, you know, Warhol and New York Underground and all that stuff. And then in April, Dylan came to my town. Like he wasn't even touring. And my sister said, you know that weird guy you like? He's playing <laughs> our sorority dance. And I was like, Whoa. Playing? and it turns out it was like, Back then, they called them Greek. It was like fraternities and sororities. They had a dance, and Dylan was doing the Rolling Thunder Review, and they oh booked him for their sorority dance. And then there was all this uh, – people were upset about that. But it So they just had it at the gym. So it was like at the local we gym. And, uh, and it was uh, – you know, that's when tickets were like open – whatever you call it, concert festival seating. So if you just ran, you got to the front. That's so, I, awesome. I, so in that year, like I became a Dylan freak and then he came to my little town and then my French teacher suddenly appeared on the stage and jumped off the front of the stage. <laughs> and the next day I said to her, did I see you at the Dylan show? And she said, she looked like Scarlett Rivera. And she said, yeah, I went backstage and I had a big magnolia flower and I told them I was Scarlett Rivera and they let me in. And the first person <laughs> I ran into was Joan Baez. And she's like, can I help you? And she's like, I have this flower to give to Bob. And she's like, well, come with me. He's right here. And she, they took him in and they talked a while. And then she's like, how do I get out of her? What's, how do I get out of here? 
And they're like, that door. But that was the door to the stage. That's how they got out of there. <laughs> so she's suddenly on the stage and then she just jumped off. <laughs> it, it sounded like a stage dive, how you described it. But It was <laughs> maybe three feet tall. I'm imagining this happening to you. You know, not, not your teacher, but this is actually Ray. And he finds himself on stage and does a stage dive. <laughs> but what mind, an amazing, that's how the story goes. What an amazing year, though. I mean, it's such, such a weird sort of like confluence of events that that yeah. would... That's how it started, you know? Yeah, and I was wondering if I didn't get that record, like what, and also like at that show was like, uh, um, um, who's the birds? Uh, Roger McGuinn. Yeah, Mc McGuinn was uh, part Johnny of that tour. Mitchell, uh, 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 Mick Ronson was on that stage. I didn't know who any of those people were. And I, you know, later became fans of Joni. And right, but it's, it's all like draws from this like year. Like, that's so cool. I mean, yeah. that bringing it all back home is like, it's like someone telling you a secret. You know, it, it's like, it's got so much in it. And it, it seemed like it was so from the past, but it was like 10 years old or nine years old. It wasn't it's, that old. It's interesting how that the seventies seemed like such a distant time from the sixties, but it's yeah. now it seems like just when like a second later. <laughs> when you're young, but also like now, like Susie Ronson lives across the street from me here. And like, I go over there and play mixed guitars. And I was like, I saw your husband. She was on that tour too. And she's wow. like, we got paid in cocaine. We didn't get paid money anymore. Back and when cocaine whole... was really cocaine. Yeah, and she's like, the whole tour was insane. And like, Bob was insane. Everybody was just on coke all the time. Oh you could tell, did you see that film, the Scorsese film? I saw it recently and I got so mad because I'm texting with Charles Mansfield. And I'm like, oh my God, Dylan had an affair with Sharon Stone when she was like, <laughs> 18 and he's like it's all fake that there's a lot of like, fake in there this sucks like why it's like it's such a great show like why did you have to make it fake i don't know i think they're having i th that seemed very dylan like it was like he wanted to have fun like then i was like i don't know what's real and i just stopped watching it i was like three quarters through oh <laughs> <laughs> but you got to see the real thing at the time so yeah it was great it was fun I love that, like this, like your your love affair with music. It was like obsession. And when did that obsession like turn into you, to you writing your own songs? I started late. Cause I um, I, I moved to my my group of friends were like two years older than me when I was in college. So they all graduated and moved to New York. And at that point, I lost interest in college. I'd never had any interest anyway. And so I moved and uh, I moved up here. And I was never like a musician. And then they had a band and I was just like hanging around their band. And then they wanted a guitar player. And I was like, I can play guitar. And I, I auditioned and they're like, no, thank you. But then <laughs> another friend of mine uh, said, you know how to play guitar? We should form a band. So we had this hardcore band and there was like 16 year old girl I was working with. And she wrote like 16 year old girl, like angsty poetry. And I took it and put it to, to hardcore punk music. And like, we played CBs and, you know, it was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, then I had a falling out with the bass player who I was like fucking. And um, then me and the girl started doing acoustic music, doing all those hardcore songs, but on acoustic guitar in the West Village at those folk clubs. And then this guy came to me and he's like, I found this really cool place and he took me over to um, Chameleon where Latch was at the time. And as soon as I got there, I'm like, oh, this is my place. And um, then so she and I started doing that stuff, those hardcore songs to a, an acoustic guitar at 
chameleon with latch in like 89 wow something like that and then and then i started writing songs so i started writing songs like much later i was like 28 when i wrote my first song you remember what your first song what your very first song well we also used to actually that's not true i wrote a song in high school with this girl we were like went down by the railroad tracks and we had a jug of wine and uh we wrote a song called dreaming of you which was very dirty and then i didn't write another song dirty dreams of you. dirty dreaming of you. <laughs> it was like dreaming of you wanting to screw us um but we would do that song but so i wrote that co-wrote it when i was 16 and then i didn't write another song until i was like 27 or 8 um and that song was i think the first one i wrote was called my vacation what i did on my vacation which was like i took like like a one year not a, almost a year sabbatical from new york and I, I moved down to my parents house in florida and like me and my boyfriend were trying to get off of heroin and we're like we'll both go here and we'll kick and then we'll meet back up and then like i i gotta i moved out of my parents house and i called him from a payphone in front of the liquor store and i'm like i have a house now and he's like I've kind of met somebody, which I wasn't that upset about. But I had like nine months there, which I just drank. I, I had a bicycle that had your feet went into stirrup, like strap your feet in. Mm -hmm. And I would be riding my bike and I'd come to a red light and I would just fall over because I couldn't get my feet out of the strap. <laughs> but it was just like a lost weekend of drinking. And then I moved back and we got the band back together. And um, So you kicked heroin by drinking a lot. Yes. <laughs> now I hear people are like, and, and writing songs. <laughs> oh, I wasn't writing songs. Yet. Oh, okay. that was when I back. But now people are kicking by this drug Kratom, which is like, Oh, I tried that. Do not try it. You told me about it. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. It was like I missed a gig because I didn't know what was happening. I was just all of a sudden nauseous, you know, for like eight hours or something. It was terrible. Everything felt great for like, I don't know, it must have been like 45 minutes. And I'm just like, you know what? I think this is what it feels like to not have any anxiety. This might be the drug for me. I've never <laughs> felt no anxiety before. All that shit I was feeling before, that was anxiety. Right now, everything's terrific. I was just like, you know, I can really dig this life thing. Uh, you know, I, I can actually, I, I think I might dig it. And, and then it's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> and, then I, and then I had to run into the house. I'm like, please God, let me park my car before I, you know, and, and not puke, before I get into the house and I parked all crazy and, and I ran to the house and puked and then had to lay down for, for like six hours and I missed the John S. Hall gig down like two blocks from me. I missed- How long did the good part stop. last? Ugh. It was only like, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour 15, something like you that. It was a good how, hour 15. You know how many grams you took? I don't know. I was at a friend's house and her, her husband had it and she's like, oh yeah, you take this, you take this. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I like herbs. It's just leaves, but I think it's going to be illegal. So it's like, really? <laughs> oh my Lord. So I'm sorry, you were, but you mentioned it because you tried it or? No, that now people are kicking opioids with it. People are swearing oh, it, by right. it. Yeah, but the other people going, but it's addictive also. Like you can become addicted to it and have to do it every day. So, oh my lord! <laughs> when K two happened near your house in in Bushwick, K two Alley. No, it was like by the Myrtle Broadway stop. There was a deli. That sold oh it. yeah, 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 and the people and it was on the news. Yeah, and there was like all these zombies wandering around on K two. Yeah, the zombies of Bushwick. 
<laughs> it was it was scary, and now things are scary in like lots of other ways. Um, how have you responded to the quarantine stuff? You know, speaking of scary, and 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 also Black Lives Matter, and like has it affected your songwriting and? Well, I've, I've, like I told you, the, I mean, the reason I think we're doing it is like, I'm like, I'm done with everything. Are I'm you still reset. done with everything? Is that I think real? so. But that, like, Corona, I'm like, I was on unemployment and I was getting the supplement. So I'm like, this is great. I'm making so much money. And uh, then um, I'm, my unemployment has run out, but I got a job offer today. But this lady said, can you paint a room in my apartment? And I'm like, yes, I can come up tomorrow and take a look. And then she sent me another letter. I've been doing this 20 years. She had so many red flags in the email. The one red flag is like, it should only take one coat. It should only take X amount of time. Anytime they tell you how much they think it, but her opening line is, I want to do as little as possible and save money to make <laughs> it. And then I looked at the apartment and it rents for 15,000 a month. And I'm like, <laughs> your opening line is you don't want to spend much money. <laughs> so I'm going to write to her and go like, I'm sorry, I'm all booked up but um and the black lives matter you know i live right by union square and it's like it was bit it was in front of my building like every day i got in trouble on facebook because like there's helicopters over my apartment and people are screaming anytime i went downstairs people are screaming and i'm like i'm yes i'm right on i'm like down with you and then one day i'm like what if all these people just for one day because they were doing it every day like thousands of people went and did something great something cool somewhere else. And everyone's like, Ray is a racist. Ray hates like Black, black Lives Matter. <laughs> like you old men, like you, oh, somebody said, if we listen to Ray, we'd still have segregated bathrooms. <laughs> 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 I talked to my AA sponsor and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're never going to post on Facebook ever again. <laughs> what did you post? I posted, what if all these people who are like, so great what if instead of marching for the 49th day screaming what if everybody did something else, like volunteered to do something else like thousands of people putting all that energy into like some great project taking every every day of the protest we take wednesday off and we like go volunteer at x and then i was like painted as like this like person who hated the protest and was like right-wing crazy old man you know, yeah, and like, <laughs> it's actually a great idea, though. I mean, it's just, yeah, it should be it's a lot. Of, it's like all those young that. people, all that energy, like, wow, this could really change the world. You have an interesting um, like history, like like you, you. I remember the song that you did for how to make white people laugh. Um, you were yeah. talking about how I think it was like you were 34 or something before you worked with white people. Is that what you? Yeah, you I. Yeah, I always had jobs where I was the only white person at my job for some reason. And you were used to being the ambassador. And I would then all be of a like, sudden, you were yeah, they would like, <laughs> Yeah, then I was like with these white people. And I'm like, white people are weird to work with. They're like, they're different. You know, it's, they're different at work. And um, I don't know. And, you know. I was trying to be humorous. But the thing in that song was I had to call my sister and like verify some of this. We had a, in my town, we had a maypole dance, which is like an old tradition of like, goes way back in England. Yeah. They dance around a maple. So they would have these little white girls, I guess you were like 10 years old. And, you know, it was like a society thing if you were allowed to be one. And they danced around and they sang in an English country garden. 
And it was an honor to be one of these girls. And it was a public event in a public park and it was called Springtime Tallahassee. And so at some point, I think it was 1970, they were like, why are there no black girls ever allowed in this? If this is gonna be a public thing, has to be open to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so the group that was, or they organized it said, um, if, if that's how you want it to be, then we're not gonna do it anymore. Oh, so they stopped. Wow. They were just like, okay, we won't ever do it again. Now they, it's back again, and it's, it's you know, everybody in, in the town. But that was their response was like, mm-hmm. okay, we won't do it. And I thought, that's so fucked like, up. Right. It's, but they were just saying how they were. They were like, wait a second, we're racist. We're not going to do that. Yeah. No, we've got to find other people to do that. What it was, there was <laughs> actual little girls who were like, I guess, like baby Rosa Parks. They were like, yeah, I want hello. to be in the event. And they're like, oh, if you have, if we are by law required to have you in it, then we just won't have it. And like, to a 10 year old person that must be like sure. so fucked up. Like I'm sure they would be like my age and I'm sure they still remember that to this day. Um, I have a question about your song. Yeah. Another question about your song for that show. Um, there's like a point in your song where you say, you talk about, you know, being the devil and then you talk about being um, a gay person in a straight, straight, a, great, a gay man in a straight man's body, um, a black man yeah. in a white man's body. And then you say something like, I'm a human trying, I couldn't make out the I'm word. I'm a human turducken. <laughs> oh, turducken. Okay. <laughs> it was really funny. Everybody was laughing. I was like, and I could hear myself laughing. And I was like, okay, I heard the word at the time, but then I couldn't hear it in the recording. I'm like, turducken. Okay, great. I was taking Oh, liberty. that's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I love just- that about your songs. I'm just, you know, taking some liberties, like I'm, I'm a black, I'm a white man and a black, or whatever, and I'm a gay. I get, you know, a lot of people, like, don't believe I'm straight, and they're like, well, openly say, I mean, don't believe I'm gay, and like, uh-huh. they'll openly say that, which is just such a weird thing to say. I've got that yeah. my whole life. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you know, you're, like, you're used to being a Tredekin. <laughs> First of all, I want to say, I think the Florida bashing is so great on time. <laughs> I know we've got our quirks and weirdness. So does Rhode Island. At least we're not boring like Saskatchewan. I think y'all are just jealous. Because we're surrounded by beautiful beaches. My name translates into Yeah. 
got a laugh on that first one i like went for laughs a lot of times with um and you get them with uh, a yeah. book, book club even pride and prejudice i i got laughs oh yeah oh yeah you totally <laughs> did are you kidding you started out with that whole story like um, about john. marrying for money and like also uh, texting with john s hall <laughs> yeah. during his uh, tinder dates yeah which he says <laughs> they're not tinder gates they were like plenty of fish or whatever he was <laughs> <laughs> and how the, the women were really rich and you said um you text back sell that dick make yeah. that money he's like i think he <laughs> voted for i think she voted for trump i'm like that's none of your business <laughs> he's got a rich girlfriend now you know he always has these rich girlfriends because his parameters are he wants a woman who lives in manhattan is single and is like 35 to 60. i'm like right but you're gonna get rich <laughs> what uh -huh. really like you can get some really rich women Right, that 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 criteria means rich woman usually, or or like somebody with a rent stabilized apartment. Yeah, <laughs> but usually, I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of times they would like own a brownstone. Wow, go John, <laughs> sell that dick, make that money. <laughs> well, this uh, this book is about whether I've uh, been married for love or money. And I think I'm I'm for money. <laughs> I got married a couple years ago. Choice for money <laughs> and an apartment. I didn't get either one of them. Yeah. I'm broke. 
John Hall used to text me when he was on Tinder dates and say, oh my God, this woman is so fucking rich. And I text back, sell that dick. Get that money. I say, I think she voted for Trump. I say, that is none of your business. Don't pay no politics, get that money. I started having sex for money when I was like 13. Then I fucked that up like 14, 15, 16. Those are my big earning years. I didn't really treat it like a business. I wish my parents would have helped me out with that. God. I didn't really know. I do it for free. There is a truth universally acknowledged. A single Fortune must be in want of wine. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering the neighborhood. This truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families. But he's considered as the rightful property of someone other of their daughters. For love.
Are, so are you funnier for the Bushwick Book Club songs than you are for your normal set? Do you tell yeah, I think stories so. in Bushwick Book Club? Yeah, I get like people say like there's humor in your I like there's humor in your lyrics, but it's more turned up at Bushwick Book Club. It sure is. I love that, though, because it come out so naturally too. all the stories. And, and I love having you. I love bringing you in because like it's almost guaranteed it's going to be a moment of ease no matter what it is. Like you're the only one, I, one of the very few people I know who can do a whole song about about the experience of reading the book. And just about reading it, not even about the book, but just the experience of reading the book. Well, sometimes um, that was my only choice. <laughs> and, and, and have it be like really interesting and like engaging and captivating, you know, and, and like it's not, and, and you're so glad, glad to, you're glad for that moment and glad to hear the song. Well, it know? seems like when you, when you perform, there's a certain like beatific, like, like, like this pinpoint of joy that you seem to emanate. Yeah, you always like, bring that. And, 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 like, and like when you take, when we look at like photos of the performers when we're putting it together, like, you know, when you shoot people when they're singing, a lot of times they're like making like a craggy, like tense face when they're making a vowel sound. But your pictures are always like this glowing, beautifully smiling, smiling person. And you have this way of like giving off this amazing energy when you're singing. And it, it's, it really comes through. Like what, when you did um, the Walt Whitman show, how did you, it seemed like you sort of evoked Walt Whitman. Well, that was, that was a life-changing experience for me because like, <clears throat> I think I spoke about that. I was, for some reason, unfamiliar with Whitman. I was very familiar with like a lot of poets and I've read a lot of poetry, but maybe because they pushed it in school, I was like, I'm not gonna read what you try to force me in school. But I became aware of Walt Whitman and his work for the first time just before that. So I like, I went in deep with that and, um, and I um, uh, could, um, I, what's the word? I. I saw myself in Whitman in a lot of ways. I could like. In a cave beneath the sidewalk where the sweet wild flower grows. Darkness between the two vaults Down at five So everybody goes In the magic of the fairies on the river The dark and so dark at night Streets filled with mechanics So I have loved soldiers and sailors I remember everyone I have laid beside the rivers My body glistening in the sun I send this song out to the far future Stagecoach drivers, everyone I am the ultimate Broadway rambler Ramble I'm going down to Camden Gonna buy a little house Just hang around Find 
a sweet young man to help me for the sixth time write it down oh when I was young and filled with electricity and common I could feel the light burning inside me blowing me down these Brooklyn streets oh when I was young and filled with electricity and common I could feel Feel the light burning inside me, blowing me down these Brooklyn streets. I'm not sure what, but also with the the being on stage, like that's what like the happiest moments in my life are Bushwick Book Club being on stage, and that's why. When I stopped playing gigs because I was not having a good time at gigs, I'm like, I'm having this experience at Bush Book Club, and I'm having this experience at gigs. So I think I'm going to stop gigs, and uh, and that was a great decision because I was getting enough out of doing Bush Book Club like every two months, than I was getting out of doing like however many gigs I could do. Wow. Some of that like stage that. stuff, I watched John and like I watched him on stage and how he behaves on stage, how he looks, and he like opens himself up and he like i don't know he does some trick where it's like a stagecraft trick and i emulated that i watched him and i tried to do what he does and it came out in the way that i do it i watched um robbie williams i like i tried to like see what he does on stage because he does that too I'm like those kind of big performers and like that's how you do it so let me try to do it so that's part of what i'm doing when you say when you see me that like i'm happy and like glowing like i'm trying to glow <laughs> that's really John, cool does john I asked know him if, that, that um you that he influenced you so much oh yeah i asked him if i told him all that and i was like did you go to uh, have any theater training any actor training and he said no but he hung out like all his friends went to the um high school for performing arts so that was his crew but he didn't go there but he was around them and um, I also, one time, John, when he was living here, he's like, how many times do you rehearse your song for Bushwick Book Club? Because, you know, he always has rehearsed his once or none. You know, he arrives very unprepared. I'm like, a hundred. I've always done my song like a hundred times with no mistakes before I do it. Like, I won't do it without knowing it. And I try to learn all the, I couldn't learn the lyrics for Pride and Prejudice because it was just the book. My song was just verbatim, the opening paragraphs of the book, opening like four pages. I couldn't memorize that, but I, I like to memorize it and I like to have it completely rehearsed. And sometimes I still fuck up, but yeah, he was like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting because it always seems so kind of free-flowing stream of consciousness, or often does, you know, and that's part of the exciting thing because you think that it's just, you know, it's all like happening and that feels like it's all happening in that moment and that it could go anywhere. That's, well, that's why I'm able to be casual there because I've rehearsed it so much. Uh, and that's, I really admire that. That's great. Do you remember the first time um, that you knew that you were a performer, though? With, did you know from when you were a little kid or, or did you just discover that as an adult? No, when even like when I was performing uh, with Latchet, uh, Chameleon, I wasn't the same. It was when I went to Sidewalk, like the first 
open mic that I played. And it was like, you know, a lot, a lot of people talk about that night, but that was the first time I'd gotten such a reaction and I could feel, I could feel myself as a performer, like conveying something and getting it back. I don't remember that when I was young. And um, that, that was like, I had one song, I'd written one song, which was Connecticut Highways. And I played that and then I was very scared and I stepped off the stage and I left the room and Latch and Ben followed. They're like, do you want to do a show here? I'm like, no. And then <laughs> they I, offered I, you a show after your first time there? And yeah, oh playing God. one song. And that then never happened. I left the, and I went out on the street. I just had to get out of there. And they followed me out. Ben and Latch <laughs> followed me and they're like, why won't you do a show? And I'm like, because I only have one song. <laughs> and uh, they're like, okay, we'll keep in touch. But that was the, you know, and like, Everyone who was there was like, that was like such a memorable night of like, you just like shocked the audience and then you walked off stage and you said no. And then, and then I turned around, they, they had all come outside to see like where Ben and Latch went. They were, were all out on the sidewalk and then I walked away. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's all part of the show, kind of. It was. It was like drama. <laughs> and then I had like two songs, then I had three songs. And actually, I bought some new speakers today. They just arrived today. This is the first time I've ever had nice speakers for my speakers uh, what's it let me see those speakers again okay cool um, i need some new speakers um they were a hundred dollars and i like treated myself to them and i listened to my first album just before i talked to you which i haven't listened to in like eight years and i was kind of impressed with that like i did that and then all the songs flow like the sequence really works and they're all like of a body of work mm. and i was like Kind of impressed with myself. I did that with like not knowing what I was doing. Just like, you know how songs write themselves. Of like, I didn't have a choice but to write those first songs, which is like the best kind. Yeah, I mean, it's still no matter what, how experienced you are at writing, you're still just someone who looks at the blank page and goes, "I'm starting." You know what I mean? How do you respond to that when you're working on a on a song do, do you do, do you like um riff something and sort of like play some music first and then start rolling with some words or do you write down a bunch of words first or do you, how, how do you look at that blank page and start well every every song that i've completed which is not to say everything i've ever started to write but every song that's been completed is i've written i mean i've noticed this after 10 years of doing it i've written on a, in a moving vehicle with a train a plane or a the oh, wow. And I'm very, I write on my iPhone the song and it's pretty much complete. And then I come home and I, I never think about the music. I just start playing chords and singing what's on my iPhone and then edit those words a bit to make them, you know, fit in there. That's how every song that I've completed has been written of like writing uh -huh. on a moving vehicle and then putting it to music later. So without the moving vehicles, when we've been in lockdown or quarantine, how has it happened? Yeah, I'm not writing. You're not? No. Well, what if we book you for another Bushwick Book Club show? <laughs> It'll force you to write. It'll force you to find a way to write. Well, what, when is it? How, wait, not in real life, in, on Zoom? On Zoom. In We're real doing Zoom life. Shows. You did the Live stray stream. one. You did the stray yeah. one, remember? Yeah, that was fun. So how did you write that one? Um, actually, so that's not true. I wrote that one sitting right here. Um, reading, you know, reading, I read the, the book, I read the reviews of the book and um, I read you about You actually her. wrote sitting down on a non-moving vehicle. 
that's, that's a rarity. Maybe you know I did. I said it right. I wrote it right here. You could do it again. I think. We, I think I'm gonna have to book you for the next one. On the day that Tanya Marquardt turned sixteen, she ran away from home. She'd been living in Port Alberni with her mom, who'd moved there to escape her dad. Tanya was troubled. Filled with anger at her mom and wanted to be on her own. She found a new kind of family in the Vancouver Goth punk scene. Sometimes you're with a friend or a lover. Lying in bed, trying to find the thread That binds these stories together Whether for the world or just in your head When my grandma was 16, she was married with a child Pregnant, nowhere Abusive husband. There would be four more born before he ran away. 1931. Oh, she never worked that out. And the actions of those two are still with me today. Sometimes you're with a friend or a lover. Lying in bed, trying to find the thread That binds these stories together Whether for the world or in your head A diary is a secret and sacred thing The language is intimate and close, just like a friend there's a pattern there to figure out There's a rhythm, a feeling, and a craft Memories laid out there on the floor So easy to see, all pink and black I'm 59, I still want to run away Point, there's no going back Sometimes you're with a friend or a lover Lying in bed, trying to find the thread That binds these stories together Marquardt turned 16 
She ran away from home. I just got some bad news that like I'm involved in this thing called Dopey and we have this Dopey Con, Dopey Convention, and we did it in October and people come from all over the world and then it was going to be in LA in May and it got canceled. But we thought, well, the next one, the last one was in October in New York. Where the, the next one's going to be, we had booked the hall in Malibu. We had a place in Malibu and we were all ready to go and it just got canceled. And I'm like, oh, it was going to be virtual. But uh, of course it got canceled. But I told somebody like, everybody's like, Coachello got, this is like in March, like Coachello got canceled. I'm like, DopeyCon got canceled. What's DopeyCon? <laughs> it's like a, a drug addict, alcoholic podcast and uh we got together and played music and spoke and it just like was a huge success and so everybody that was the first one and everybody's very hyped for the next one and it's not going to happen sorry Dopey. sorry oh there it is. <laughs> so are, are they all like former former addicts like you some of them or? are some of them are active <laughs> oh, okay so active and former <laughs> some oh, of them right to like i get people like call me at like one in the morning and they're like hi and they're like i need help can you help me or and i get people like can you send me money i'm broke can you send me money <laughs> like, right like it's one thing like in the old days like people you couldn't hear somebody on the radio and then contact them via facebook mm-hmm. i mean i could make it so you can't but I, I didn't but like i couldn't like contact gordon lightfoot and go like I love your music. Like, can you loan me some money? <laughs> What's the book for the next book club? It's William Melvin Kelly. It's a book of short stories of his. And he was um, a black writer in the, I, I think he published his first book in the 60s and early 60s. And it got, a, it got a lot of attention. And then he ended up leaving the country after Malcolm X was assassinated and tried to raise his family in Paris and then moved to Jamaica and then ended up coming back to Harlem in in the 70s and raised his family there. And he continued to write, but didn't didn't publish as much as he wrote. Uh, yeah, his work just didn't get a, get as much attention as as it warranted. Yeah. Um, and uh, but and then he, he ended up teaching creative writing at Sarah Lawrence. And oh. He died in 2017. Yeah. I wonder if any of our friends had him as a professor. You know, we have a lot of friends. Well, that Charlie knows his daughter. Yeah, um, we used yeah, to be neighbors. And <laughs> we're in touch with his daughter, um, Jessie, and she's going to be speaking at the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I always like it when there's like, or the, the author or, you know, somebody is like involved with that. It's very cool. And, you know, to think of like writers, like, as performers, even though like we're not performing live, but we get to perform our songs in front of people, whether it's a small or large audience. But if you're a writer working at home, yeah. that must feel so weird. The only thing you can judge it by is sales. And if there's no sales, then you just get sales and reviews. And if those aren't happening, then you're just like working in the dark. Like just, I'm just going to throw this out there because I need to or want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're teaching, you might get some feedback from your students, but that must be so hard to like produce art and just get nothing back. Sure. I mean, in some of the, like some of our most beloved classics, 
started out that way too. Like even Moby Dick, yeah. uh, it was panned and it was just nah, thumbs down from everybody, you yeah. know, until, you know, something happened later on, but it wasn't for many years until it gained like such popularity. Yeah. And so many with Dune, that book. Oh yeah. Couldn't, he couldn't get it published for years. Oh, and I didn't know Frank that. Herbert, is that it? Frank yeah. Herbert. I couldn't get it published for years and then finally did. And then it became this cult classic and everything. And then with music too, you like, you wonder like yeah. how many people, well, now everything is like, if it's on the internet, people will find it. I think of like Nick Drake, who was like lost yeah. and then rediscovered. But like, uh, what's Hunky Dory was a huge flop. And like, if Bowie had like died after Hunky Dory, like, would that have been remembered? Now it's like, you know, listed as a great album. But like, you wonder like what that was like to feel like, I don't know if he knew, like I've written some great songs and the record, I'm signed to a label, the record company released it and we got nothing back. Right. That must have felt weird. I mean, Pet, Pet Sounds was a flop, you know. Pet Sounds, like... yeah. On on the Dopey podcast recently, the, the, my co-host asked me, uh, Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. Well, Pet Sounds, but it's Pet Sounds or Rubber Soul. It's Sgt. Pepper or Smile. If you want right. to ask which or which, <laughs> they were more they were more aligned. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to listen to your to this podcast. You do it how how often? Every week. Every week. Wow. Oh wow. I can't believe I had to hear that. And I if you want to hear me crying and losing my mind, <laughs> how long is a podcast? Like an hour long? Or it's, well, we do we talk for an hour and then we have a guest. Um, our dream guest is Dylan, which we're trying to get. <laughs> That's exciting. Did you listen to the new record? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm still like, I, you know, I talk to Charles a lot. Charles is a Dylan freak and like, I still don't know what to make of it. You know, I don't know whether it, I honestly can't tell if it's terrible or great. I honestly that, can't tell. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's like, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. I mean, it's so sprawling. I think it's great that he's doing something right now. It felt, it feels very immediate. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that means it's good, but I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't like all of it, but I like it. Maybe it takes like, multiple listens. Yeah, definitely. I've listened multiple times. I like that it's just so weird. And so it's not generic, you know, late period Dylan. It's something else. Right. It's just, it is something else. And it's I like, it oh, I think it's a few years old. I think it may be okay. five or six years old also. Well, he he just started releasing the songs during, during the uh, pandemic. And then it came out in like June, I think. Yeah, oh. the whole record. It's got it, the big one is "Murder Most Foul," which is like 18 minutes long, and it's like, it's like Jason Trachtenberg wrote like it's like wrote the song. It's about um, Kennedy's. It's a Kennedy conspiracy song. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when what was your last recording, Ray? I did a um a homemade album of like like a bunch of songs I had written that I was gonna record in Dublin. They were like demos, and then I'm just like, fuck it. I'm, I, I was supposed to be, I had shows booked in Dublin in April and we were going to tour around Ireland. And then I was going to go into the studio and we were going to record and that didn't happen. And then I was like, well, I'll definitely be there in October for my 60th birthday and we'll have a show. And then that's not happening. So <laughs> I just released the demos. It was called, um, I forgot what it was called, but that was the oh, last thing I did. I just recorded it at home. And then I recorded with Summer like that Walt Whitman song I recorded, and I, re oh, I recorded oh. with Bob, like three songs, the nice. Bushwick Book Club song. The, then, then when I was in a crack house motel in 
Florida, I released the um, Bushwick Book Club song called uh, whatever it was. Right uh, from the Crack House Motel. I went down to like, my mother was in assisted living and she was like having problems. And I went down and I was like, let me check into the cheapest motel I can find. Oh, this is cool. It's right downtown. So I can walk to all the restaurants and I, I'll be downtown. And I found it. It's where the government puts people who are like in trouble because, and they don't have cars. So it's like a, it's a motel six, but it was a homeless shelter. And I walked in there, I'm like, whoa, shit is going down here. And by the end of that night, I was smoking crack. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. And releasing woke, an album. Yeah. I woke up one morning and I was completely naked and my door was wide open. <laughs> Ray, I'm so glad you're like, out of that crack house. Somebody called John Hall and was like, Ray is smoking crack in Florida. And then John called and I'm like, and I'm and with my mother and like all these people, all these people who work there and uh, they're all like, you're such a great son. You're such a, you're such a perfect son. I'm like, I'm a degenerate. <laughs> How did you get out of there? I thought I was going to die there. I honestly thought I was going to die. And uh, like I got on the train, I got on the E-train to go to Florida um, in early February and I was crying at five in the morning on the E-train all the way to the JFK. And then I got on a JetBlue, which on the subway, like, okay, people are not gonna like ask you if you're okay, if you're crying, cause you're insane. But if when you're on JetBlue and you're sitting there just, somebody oh. might say, sir, are you okay? But nobody said anything. Oh my God. And then I drove from, I landed in Jacksonville, I drove to Tallahassee and uh, then checked into the crack house. <laughs> But I survived it. So glad you checked out. Wow. I got yeah. I got a new sponsor who's like, he's like not having any shit at all. Like he's just he's so great. We've been like working on stuff and like it was Bob's birthday like four days ago and I'm like I'm thinking about wishing Bob a happy birthday and he's like no you, you are never gonna do that don't no. <laughs> You're, no, you're, you're not. not you're not posting to facebook and you are not going right. to <laughs> very good sponsor yeah he's great cool um, it was like john found him for me like john found this new guy which was like out of the blue that's awesome that's really good like he's a good friend Yep. Um, I had I wanted to talk a little bit about your experiences performing live um, in Ireland because I know you like it there so much, um, and I know I wanted to know like what you thought about the audiences there compared to other places. And I also wanted to talk to you about I just want to mention your song for "You Were Never Really Here," um, and I don't know. Did you have other questions, Charlie? Um, no. I, I did my questions and I'll just listen. Maybe I'll think of another one. Of course you will. <laughs> you were never really here. Was that, was that the song that the guy, the, the, wherever he went around killing people? Yeah. yeah. And that song was amazing because you brought like such, it was like, because the sentiment and the words were so extreme because the book was really extreme and yet yeah. you brought the sweetness to it and you were singing from that character's point of view. That was just really interesting. But I watched that movie and he's, he's, um, no question killing people with a hammer like he kills them and yeah. then the author was at the event and just before I played he's like the way I wrote this was like he doesn't actually kill anybody he just disables them and stops them from interfering I'm like he yeah. like 
killed them in the movie. Killed them. I thought I'm like, my, my song is called Kill, 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 Kill. I'm like, oh, no. I just wanted to read a couple of lines from, from that song because it, it, I thought it was so beautiful. If I was your man, I would bring it. If I had a song, I would sing it. If I had a bell, I would ring it. If I had a hammer, I would kill. I would kill. <laughs> and like when you read you read those lyrics, and it sounds like so extreme and ridiculous. But the way you performed it was just some, you know transformed it to this other kind of beauty, even within the ridiculous or the extre- extremeness of it. And that was just a neat thing that you that you do in your in your songs. I'm a soldier. I'm a veteran. I'm a freelancer. I'm unafraid of. is like inside my head is like a blender of like every song I've ever heard like 60s pop growing up and like that's like if I had a hammer if I had a, uh, uh-huh. all that stuff you know like a, a lot of sometimes my songs are like I'm quoting other songs like not all not all the time but a lot of times I'm quoting like Biggie uh, 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 Jay-Z is like if when I say a big I'm bigging up my brother not I was like I'm not uh, he's like I'm not stealing rhymes I'm bigging up my brother that's Jay-Z. He was accused of like uh, stealing stuff. And he's like, when I quote somebody in a song, I'm like praising them. I'm not trying to steal the line. And I'm very clearly like, it, how could I steal this line? He said, when I say a big line, I'm bigging up my brother. That's, yeah. That was the line. <laughs> and then uh, performing in Ireland is, they're more appreciative. They, they, they're more polite and the clubs pay you like they always pay you what they said, sometimes more. And it's just, it's a different, I don't know. And somebody told me that the reason they like me is because they don't have role models of like such a suppressed, repressed society, especially the older generation like me. So they don't have a model of like an old person who's like, I don't give a fuck about whatever society thinks. And this is me and deal with it. They just don't have that. People are like afraid to be themselves. 
And you know, there's still like the Catholic Church is like looming large, even over people that are like, fuck the church, but it's still like you can't get it out of you, you know, if you were raised wow. with it. And so they like that about me, but that they're, they're just like, I don't know, they seem more appreciative and more, uh, they have that tradition of like literature and words and, um, and, and that they pay you and that they're polite about it, except that one fucking club, Shanae, which they wouldn't pay us, but I got like two songs out of them not paying. A, and like, I got a lot of mileage out of them that's not good. paying. <laughs> out of the experience, that's good. Um, but it's interesting too, that you were a really shy kid and now here you are and you're like, and you, and you perform and you kind of um, embody this kind of ease and in, in acceptance of yourself that, other, uh, that affects other people. But it's interesting that you started out as a really shy kid. Well, that's, I think about that sometimes of like, I was like, you know, that kind of, I mean, maybe you guys were like this too. Like if you asked you to publicly speak, you would like, you were incapable. Like you would just uh, like frozen. That's how I was. And I was like that for quite a while. And then I don't know why, but that went away. And the more it went away, the more it went away. And, and now it's really away. Cause now you have this alter ego in rainbow. Or it's not even alter. It's not alter. It's just we're trying to yeah. We're trying to figure out what to do with rainbow. But and like like Morgan Herringer said to me, she's like, how do you how did you make it go away? Because she's like very shy on stage, and I was like, I don't know. It just went away. Something with time. I mean, you guys, did you ever have that? Because y'all aren't shy on stage. I'm not so good. I'm I'm fine when I'm performing, but talking between songs or telling a story before a song, I usually just like minimize it down to like two phrases that's then such a fucking one two lie. three four boing that is a, such a fucking lie he's lying by the way Susan is like, i feel lying. like that no you go on and on sometimes you know like and, and but it's interesting because then you get to hear more about like what went into your song and what your process was like you know and i feel like you've become a lot more comfortable with that you know and you have like some you, nights are better than others but, you know whatever yeah. you know and yeah Susan's but such a natural were you always well, like that on stage um, that's sometimes my most comfortable way of, uh, that's my most comfortable mode of social interaction sometimes yeah. is, is being on stage. Otherwise, if I don't have an accordion in front of me, I feel really awkward just making small talk or just <laughs> trying to interact with somebody and have a conversation. But if I'm on a stage, it's like, it's different because then it's like, oh, you have permission. People expect you to talk. You know, that's your job. You're there to engage with the audience. So, you know, so, th so then it's like I have this permission and, I, and I'll just run with that permission. But if I don't have the permission, I don't really know what to do it's often, I we, find. The, we did with the Dopey Podcast, we did a festival in West Virginia and there was like 10,000 people there. And my co-host is like, I'm really scared. What's the biggest crowd you've ever played in front of? I'm like, I thought of St. Mark Church. I'm like, 500? But like, what's the difference between 500 and 10,000? But then he was really nervous, but he, it was fine. We worked it out. His opening line was, I just raised the Jewish population of West Virginia by 100%. Yeah, that's a, that's a great opening line. You can't lose with an opening line like that. that and he won them over right then. That's awesome. Uh, I, miss, um, I miss that aspect about performing live is just the immediate feedback thing where it's like, oh, you get a laugh. You know you're doing okay. Keep going. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the nice thing with Bushwick Book Club is you get all the perks of doing a gig, but you didn't. It's not your gig, and you don't have any responsibility for like bringing people or 
or anything bad about the night, like the, the bar, the club won't go like you didn't, we didn't sell drinks or this, like you just Sometimes you get all the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> Susan, yeah. Susan gets it. Yeah. Susan gets it. She takes it. She takes the brunt. Uh, sometimes. Um, I like it when people come. I'm always surprised when people do come and then they love the whole night. They come, I mean, it'd be like friends of mine will come and they don't know, they just know I'm doing a song. I'm like, I'm doing one song in a night of other things. It's great, but just so you know, and then they just love the whole night. Yeah. It's because That's everyone's that. so great. And you know, there's like a lot of variety. If you like variety, I, you know, I feel like Pushwick Book Club shows are for you. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening with Barbess? Um, I think, oh, that reminds me. I want to catch what they're doing on Barbez because they're now streaming live shows from that back room. Oh. Um, and they do it like, I think around 6.30, 6-ish, 6.37, something like that. It's not like all night, but it's like maybe one act or two, like so maybe a couple hours or something at most. Huh. And those um, I want to watch small, that. Smalls is doing that. Smalls Jazz Club is doing that. Okay. Charlie and I were going to play at Tompkins Square Park because that band Pink Louds, do you know Cloudy from Pink oh, Louds? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's been playing regular sets there with his full band, and he brings like little amplifiers. And um, you should play there too, Ray. I saw that. I, I, I wanted to go over and see him. I think his story is so interesting because, like, I, for some reason, I played quite a few gigs with his previous incarnation. I can't remember, but he was in a character in his previous band. I can't and, imagine him not as Pink Clouds, but go ahead. No, he was, he was, his face was painted red, and he had double horns, and he had a suit. Oh. And it was very similar music. The music has not changed, but he switched over to Claudio and changed the outfit and it's blown up. It's like, people love it. Wow. It's so weird. Wow. Like, Wear the right outfit and- Same thing, same person and just change. That's fascinating. That's really great information. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And have you because seen- he his wore different clothes, Charlie, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> he started busking at um, the Delancey Street Station and they have a video of them with they have a fake f train coming through the the band it's so cool <laughs> i mean they do a lot with like no money like their sets yeah but like they get a big bang for their buck out of you know they're really talented too really yeah yeah that's right so that. you're not going to stop performing i mean how real is this you know because like I'm, I'm gonna book you so that means you're gonna be performing <laughs> i'll do bushwick book club i'm just not gonna do my own thing i'm like i'm just like I'm so done. even if we like got you a spot at, on like at Tompkins Square Park on one of Pink Pink Clouds nights, like you wouldn't play that spot. I'm not. Yeah, I'd do that. I'll do that. Okay. I'm just not gonna write new songs and. Yes, yeah. you are. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to write them. <laughs> no, I'll write a Bushwick Book Club song. I'm not gonna write my own. I like. I'm, well. I've completed it. I'm finished. You could put out like an album of all your Bushwick Book Club songs too. Well, there I've put most of them on my albums. Well, there you <laughs> go. At, at one point, they stopped being like kind of specific. That last album I put out had like three Bushwick Book Club songs on it. Yeah, that's cool. That's how it happens. Yeah, right, Charlie? they're like yep. listening to it. You wouldn't know. It's like, oh, this is a song about a book. It's just like a song. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> cool. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, it's it's been really great. Is there anything else you want to say on your on this audio podcast? Kill for rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, kill, kill, kill for rainbow. Kill. All uh, right. No, um, no, I love Bushwick Book Club, and uh, it's, it's been like since I've stopped 
performing. It's like I've loved having that as like my backup thing. It's called well, performing. Well, it's nice talking to you. It's guys. really nice talking to you. Yeah, it's, Let's it's go really for a nice. walk sometime or or something. I don't know. Okay. You know. Thank you for listening to and supporting the Bushwick Book Club podcast, the podcast of songs about books featuring the songwriters who write the songs and the authors who write the books. You can also watch the Zoom video conversation of this interview at youtube.com slash bushwickbookclub. We appreciate donations through PayPal to trout at bushwickbookclub.com. That's trout, as in Kilgore Trout, T-R-O-U-T, trout, at bushwickbookclub.com. And I know, after this hour with Ray, you now cannot get enough Ray. It's okay, that's just how it goes. Luckily, you can go to his website, raybrownworld.com, where you'll find music and videos and photos. That's raybrownworld.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast he works with called Dopey, D-O-P-E-Y. You can subscribe to his YouTube channel. You can also hear live recordings of his songs at the at the Bushwick Book Club Bandcamp page and also the Bushwick Book Club YouTube and Facebook pages. The Bushwick Book Club podcast is produced by Lusterlit, which is producer, engineer, Charlie Neeland, and me, Susan Huang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>